All right, back here on the Big Talker FM. We believe we have uh, Yael Lasowski on the phone line. Are you there, Yael? Good morning. Uh, yes, sir, Joe. I'm connected. Hey. Good morning to you. Yeah, great to have you on our program. As always, Yael Lasowski from the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. You can hear himself, uh, his colleague uh, Dave Clement, tomorrow at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, broadcasting here on the Big Talker FM through their Consumer Choice radio program. All right, Yael, what has caught your attention in the news over the last uh, week? I know, obviously, coronavirus uh, topping the headlines nationally, globally. Super Tuesday in the rearview mirror here in the Tar Heel State, elsewhere. And I know that you are versed and love talking and discussing our antiquated ABC and liquor laws here in North Carolina. So where do you want to start with this morning uh, out of those three topics? I think we've got to give praise to some North Carolina voters. I think that's probably the first place to start. Well, with that said, yes. And I made mention coming out of Super Tuesday that uh, you got to give some moderate uh, Democrat-minded voters, uh, unaffiliated voters uh, that uh, cast a ballot in the Democrat primary that, uh, yeah, you know, basically projecting and double and triple downing on socialist policies being pushed by Bernie Sanders, not really uh, holding much water amongst uh, Democrats, unaffiliated primary voters here in the Tar Heel state. I'll caution you by saying, well, Joe Biden, his handlers, they may agree with Bernie Sanders on many instances. They just don't necessarily project it as belligerently Bernie does on a day-to-day basis. That's a fair point, Joe. Uh, could be said. I think really if you look at the, the map, if we look county by county at all of North Carolina, 100 counties, we could see that pretty much throughout the state it was pretty much a Biden game. Uh, you know, Bloomberg was able to pull in some votes. Sanders was able to get some of the college areas and some of the bigger towns and cities. But really it was Joe Biden's game from the very beginning. You know, when it comes to the ideas, I don't think it was particular ideas that a lot of people were sold on for Joe Biden. I think it was really just looking back on his creds. Uh, He's able to come to North Carolina and say, look, I was vice president under Barack Obama. We had a good time. Times were good. Don't you want to go back? I think that was kind of the message that Joe Biden was selling throughout his entire campaign. And it seems as if in North Carolina they bought it. Um, So that's unlike in New Hampshire or Iowa where you had Bernie Sanders and his cohort at the top of the polls. So it's pretty – I don't know. I have to say it's, it's something good to see that this is why democracy is a beautiful experiment. It's why democracy is something that we should be fighting for every day because this is when ideas are put on trial. And I think North Carolina voters, specifically in the Democrat primary, they did their duty, they did their job, and it looks like we got a bit more of a clear idea of who's going to take over the the next Democratic nomination here to go against President Trump. Well, no question the Democrat establishment has uh, jumped on the Joe Biden bandwagon, given the fact that all of the other candidates have bowed out of the race now. It's a two-horse race between the establishment and Joe Biden and, uh, well, as I call him, Communist Bernie, the nutty professor. And uh, with that said, the next set of primaries, we go up to the Wolverine state in the state of Michigan in the next uh, week or so. And uh, the state of Michigan, could that spell the end of the run for Bernie Sanders if he's unable to make significant impact in that swing state? Uh, Michigan is hard to, you know, it's a tough nut to crack. It's, there's a lot of revolutionaries there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't think that there aren't a lot of people who would praise democratic socialism in Michigan. Um, certainly a lot of big campuses there and then a very big left-wing culture in some parts of the state, but most of the state quite rural usually a bit more conservative, even if they're Democratic voters. 
So, yeah, but, you know, you have to think back to Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. He believes in his ideas. You know, he is a true revolutionary, but he's going to go all the way to the end. You know, I, I think a lot of people are talking about trying to get Bernie to drop out. I, I guess they haven't been reading his statements or following him for the last 40 years he's been in public life. He's going to cling to his ideas until they go to the very end. And again, this isn't even a judgment on the ideas themselves, Joe. We've talked about that endlessly on your program, but it's more about you know, the process and, and how people's votes and voices are being heard. And I think if we're able to look at Michigan and see what happens there, you know, it's a very good microcosm for the rest of the country. Uh, a lot of blue-collar workers, a lot of low-income folks who think the government has let them down, you know, are they going to go for revolution or are they going to go for more of the same uh, moderate Joe Biden? But I think to your point, there's still a lot of dangerous economic advisors within the Biden campaign that could spell ruin for a lot of the middle class. So it's definitely changing things up. I'm really happy that North Carolina played its part. Um, I think it's, it's good to put out on display. This is a, a great place to be, a great place for not just politics, but also for life. So <laughs> thankfully, we got to have our voice a little bit into the primary process. No doubt. Uh, the Old North State, a great place to live, work, and play. And we are welcoming in 10,000 plus, uh, well, more, tens of thousands, I should say, plus uh, new residents into our state each year. And, uh, well, you have to look no further as to where these folks are coming from. And a lot of the states uh, projecting some of the policies and have put forward uh, many of the policies that uh, play, people like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden want to nationalize uh, across our country. So we talk about microcosm. I think it says it right there. Would you rather live, work, and play in a state that is a relatively low cost of living where you have lower taxes, more freedoms, uh, well, with the exception of ha having the ability to buy alcohol before noon on a Sunday, uh, or maybe 10 o'clock now, uh, but other freedoms and luxuries that we enjoy here in North Carolina as compared to maybe some of the other coastal elite areas around uh, our country, such as California, the Northeast, uh, the state of Illinois, high-priced, high-taxed states uh, – People are making choices, and the choice right now, North Carolina and states uh, that look a lot like this makeup that we have here. Yael Osowski with us uh, of the Consumer Choice Center. So what does make North Carolina, Yael, and other primary states that we saw on Super Tuesday that went towards uh, Joe Biden, you know, what makes the Democrat voter, the unaffiliated voter, maybe skeptical of the things that Joe Biden, or, or Bernie Sanders rather, is pushing day to day? I think you, you generally have a, a good skepticism of power. You know, North Carolina is pretty far from D.C. You know, you can get up there in maybe four or five hours, depending on where you are in the state. But most of the time, we don't want to be kind of ruled over and loomed over by big centralist models and, and typically those that want to have more power in Washington, D.C. I know you might not always think that from some of the results, but, you know, these are the a people who love their autonomy. Um, there were people who really embrace entrepreneurship, and you see that with the boom that we've had with not just the, the craft distilleries and craft beer industry, but just all across and up and down the entire state. You actually do have now swaths of manufacturing coming here. We have a good, diverse economy. You know, tobacco is on its way out, but then you have a lot of very high-tech scientific campuses, you know, based around the Raleigh area and also around the Concord-Charlotte area. It's, it's pretty good to see. I think that's why there is this kind of skepticism. You know, this is not a big government state. It never really has been. Uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of things that haven't been going the way of, uh, let's say, fiscal conservatives or those who care about government spending in Raleigh the last couple of years. But still, I think we're, you know, more of a individualist people. I think that's something that's generally true in sort of the American creed. 
but more so in North Carolina. I mean, this is a place where you have basically from the mountains to the ocean, you have people who are innovative, who are entrepreneurs, who've been able to make their lives in cities and different regions. I mean, we've got a very diverse area, no doubt, if you drive all the way from the west all the way to the east. I mean, Wilmington is a shiny example on the coast, but then you've got a place like Asheville in the mountains, and people have to be very industrious there. They have to be entrepreneurs. They have to think with their, their head and put their ideas to the market. That's what makes North Carolina special. You know, that's why my family moved to North Carolina. It's why I'd love to be able to have my family there. It's why so many other people are moving. We may even have some California refugees in North Carolina because they love the place so much. So I think that it's probably what led to this rejection of socialism. Overall, I'm, I'm very happy with the trend. I think most people are. Most people don't want their tax bills to go up, and they don't want Washington, D.C. ruling their lives. So we'll see if that carries over onto Election Day in the fall, though. That's, that's a whole other question. Yeah, Yell, one of the other, obviously, big topics this week has been coronavirus. Uh, we're seeing the fear of the spread of this virus disrupting global economic activity. We see airlines seeing a drop in passenger traffic. We see cruise lines seeing a drop in their industry, a number of global conferences being canceled. In relation to, of course, the way it is spread here in the United States among the elderly, among people who have traveled to some of these stricken areas around the world, by and large, right now, many of the doctors that at least we talk to say, hey, 98, 90%, 99% of you who are in decent health, who are of you know a, a decent age, you really have no fear. Yes, it is a respiratory illness. Yes, you may contract it, but 98, 99% of you are going to be okay. It's those who are dealing with, as they say, underlying health conditions, the elderly, similarly to how the flu affects many of us across the country on a annual basis. I want to get into maybe some tinfoil hat conspiracy type things with you, Yael, since you're such a big fan of the Chinese. You, know, you have a soft spot for the Chinese government, just as uh, Michael Bloomberg does with his Chinese propaganda videos uh, that he peddles out on the campaign trail over the last uh, several months. Think about that. I don't know, Yael, I know you're overseas a lot, but uh, Michael Bloomberg, soft spot for the Chinese, you know, admits it, as he did through many of the talks that he had leading up to his campaign announcement. But you look at his campaign ads versus what you see in Mike in real life as compared to his campaign ads sitting in front of the green screen. He's got an image of the American flag talking to you like a zombie. I said it yesterday. Wouldn't be surprised if he just if someone pulled the zipper down on his body, his face, and then there was like the Chinese spy sitting there. See, got you all. Uh, when we look at the Chinese. Wow, Joe. I, ho I hope that you got a couple of artists who listen to your show and who can depict that for your website. That'd be beautiful. Tell me. All right. You're a skeptic, obviously, of authoritarian communist rule and the way in which the Chinese told the rest of the world about this virus. Many people conspiring and uh, alleging that maybe it was the Chinese government that started this thing in some lab and uh, they don't care about killing their own people. They have a history of that. Uh, who cares? <laughs> and, uh, you know, let's spread yeah. this, create well, uncertainty and fear around the world since, you know, the, the Americans, the U.S. is starting to point their finger back at us. I know this this popping up a lot more, you know, the theory that essentially China, its economy was already headed down. They kind of needed a good excuse. They need something to kind of slow down the markets, get a hard reset. I don't know if I would buy into that. I think, you know, it really is just public health run amok and authoritarianism run amok. But, you know, you mentioned Michael Bloomberg. You know, we, we call him on Consumer Choice Radio, we call him the Big Gulp Mayor. He's the mayor who got rid of the Big Gulps in New York. 
Uh, he's the one who funds most of the anti-vaping campaigns. He's the guy who wants to put more taxes on sugar, on your sodas, everything else. He kind of wants to run your individual life. And yeah, this kind of a strange resemblance to you know the Chinese authoritarian model. I, I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole, but uh, there's definitely been a lot of issues with uh, Michael Bloomberg. You know, he's, he's not really trying to talk about how China has become a much more authoritative regime. It's a place where people are being repressed. And if we look at the coronavirus, especially um, the latest report, this came from AP, a lot of the, the Uyghurs, the Muslim minority, they're now being sent in to a lot of these factories to work where they've been quarantined and they haven't allowed the Han Chinese to go work. So they're sending in the minority Uyghurs. I guess they're, they're free from the labor camps for a couple of days and they send them into the big factories so they can make shoes and t-shirts and all the rest. It, it's kind of getting a bit crazy there. Um, I wish we had a lot more independent reporting on what's happening in China. Wall Street Journal had their reporters kicked out. A couple other institutions have had their reporters kicked out. And then you have people in the West, people in liberal democracies who parrot that same line much like Michael Bloomberg. He sees absolutely no reason to be skeptical about China. Uh, we, on the other hand, see every single reason to be. That's why you know, I, I'm not going to go so far as to draw this big, uh, big line with red yarn on the map with coronavirus in China, but that is where it started. And you know, it's been a big boon to authoritarian regimes. You know, the most oppressive places in the world, um, that's where this stuff has kind of sprawled, and they've been given kind of carte blanche to do whatever they want, which I think is the scarier thing if we think about it. It has nothing to do with the virus. It's everything to do with what the government will do as a reaction. So you kind of have to give praise to some of the governments like in the U.S. with Trump or um, you look in Canada or some places in Europe, they've, they've actually been relatively calm. They're not locking people up and quarantining them like crazy like they are doing in places like Italy and China. Uh, but, yeah, it really gives us something to think about, Joe. And uh, let's not be like this loser up in New Hampshire who uh, admitted that he was infected with coronavirus. And instead of doing the best thing for himself and uh, his community, he decided he was just going to go out and, and attend business meetings and uh, uh, go against some of the measures and recommendations of doctors after contracting this virus up in New Hampshire. The guy's just going about his daily day. I mean, we talk about morons out there. Well, there's one of them. Uh, you know, uh, we feel bad the fact that he contracted this virus uh, wherever he was traveling to. But uh, Stay the hell home if you have an illness. That's the flu or anything else. We don't need your germs around us. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And this is this is being heard around the world. I mean, there's a, a lot of conferences, Joe, that I was invited to. I was supposed to speak at. These things are getting canceled left and right, and people are just going insane. I think it's a total overreaction. Uh, we say don't panic. I don't think there's that much reason to panic, at least from a health perspective, as you mentioned. But this is being used as an excuse by anyone to cancel some big event. You have an F1 race that's been canceled. You got big conferences being canceled. I think it's a good excuse. And at the same time, many companies can kind of come out on the stock market and say, you know what? Our Q4 numbers were down, coronavirus. Sorry, we won't be able to make those big numbers we promised you. So expect to see a lot more of that in the news, a lot more blame on coronavirus for everything that you were heard of, including why you didn't clean your room. Joe, I'm <laughs> sure that will come up in some teenager's essay. <laughs> and, well, oh, and, and with that, uh, you know, you have spoken, particularly your show last week, at length about the World Health Organization. You know, this is the arm of the UN responsible for getting a, a handle 
on global health-related issues. And you may mention that uh, this organization, they've been spending some pretty good dollars at the tunes of uh, hundreds of millions, in fact, on luxurious travel, five-star resorts. Uh, they've put a massive campaign together towards uh, the anti-vape movement, yet we have a virus that is truly affecting you know, tens of thousands of people killing people around the world, yet uh, the World Health Organization has been slow to play catch-up in the way they have addressed this issue. And I, I would I would hate to say that this is the first time, Joe, but this has happened before. When we had the Ebola crisis in Central Africa, and I think the, the last person just passed away from that a few months ago, you know, this ravaged for six years. This was insane. It was very intense. And the World Health Organization was very slow to react, very slow to put together resources, they were very, very slow to pack up their suitcase at their five-star resort in the Maldives that they flew on business class to. And this is not, you know, this is us, you know, trying to talk about it as if it doesn't exist. There have been huge investigations by Reuters and Associated Press. The World Health Organization and a lot of the bureaucrats who work there, they spend most of their time traveling around the world on business class seats, going to big conferences, talking up why we need to ban vaping, why we need bigger taxes on sugar, why we need to have some kind of uh, one-payer, single-payer health care in every single country in the world. I mean, this is very problematic. And the problem is most people don't know what these organizations do most of the time. You know, these are big, large, bureaucratic organizations. If you fly the UN flag, people assume you're right and you're doing something right. But we have to criticize them. And that's why I give praise to your show, Joe. I give praise to a lot of people who talk about it and discuss it. If our health authorities did the right thing, maybe people wouldn't be so freaked out. Maybe we wouldn't have huge stock uh, sell-offs. Maybe people wouldn't be canceling conferences. And maybe I get to speak at a couple of conferences every now and then, Joe. Maybe that would happen. <laughs> Market's selling off again here this morning after the opening bell. And with that, here's call this a transition and a segue. As some people are attempting to counter the spread of coronavirus by making their own hand sanitizer out of rubbing alcohol and aloe. Hey, we love entrepreneurs and those who are going to try and take risks here. But vodka? Well, Tito's. The handmade popular vodka distiller announced yesterday that uh, they have 40% alcohol content in a bottle of vodka. Therefore, it does not meet the current recommendation of the CDC. So drink the Tito's and don't use it as hand sanitizer. This is the stuff that liquor organizations have to make an announcement on social media telling people not to use their product uh, as hand sanitizer to protect themselves from coronavirus. This is where we're at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is 2020. This is 2020, Joe. Yeah. I mean, look at this. This is alcohol is something that, you know, we always talked about. And we want to try to liberalize and modernize our social attitudes. Well, you know, enough Corona jokes you've probably seen. I'm sure your listeners have seen thousands of memes on Facebook. They can tell you the latest and greatest Corona joke tomorrow well, when it comes to global health. I'm going to tell you, Tito's might not do it, but I know a couple of the guys out in the mountains in the western part of the state, their alcohol may, in fact, uh, protect you from coronavirus. The high percentile that they carried into the backwoods, uh, <laughs> crafting their own taste out there in moonshine country. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the moonshine, you know, that's the birth of NASCAR came from moonshine. That's where this big kind of boon to souping up your cars and racing in the mountains happened. That's why people love NASCAR because it started in North Carolina. This is where we had the, the moonshine rebels uh, who were carrying this stuff in prohibition. You know, this is it's a great place to talk about it, too, Joe. Well, and with that segue, you talk often, as we mentioned, about our outdated alcohol laws. So mentioning NASCAR and other big professional sports organizations and leagues, 
why not jump on this uh, fight to modernize alcohol sales in the way they alcohol is distributed across our state given that it's byob to nascar races the nfl loves to poster up any budweiser and bud light advertisements whenever they get a chance why are these organizations like the nfl nascar not jumping behind that effort to modernize our liquor laws you know it's, it's crazy you know they make a lot of money from it there's a lot of partner, uh, partnerships a lot of sponsors my brother works for the atlanta united soccer team down there in atlanta georgia and they got huge liquor partners my question to them is, hey, guys, if you've got celebrity endorsements that you've been making, why don't you get these guys to join our campaign to modernize alcohol? Let's talk about the laws that should exist in the 21st century, and let's not think about prohibition 100 years ago that still has so many carryovers today. I mean, we still have dry counties throughout North Carolina, a dry county. You had college students at Western Carolina University who have to drive across the county line to go find a drink. I mean, this is just terrible. We're in the 21st century. Adults are responsible. Let's get some of the celebrity endorsers. Let's get people like Chase Elliott, these guys who are talking about alcohol and liquor and ads. Let's get them talking about modernized you know, laws. I would welcome them at Consumer Choice Center. We'd love to have them as a fellow. I'll even edit their op-eds free of charge. We'd love to have them on board. It's time to fix our alcohol laws. ConsumerChoiceCenter.org, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice, uh, fighting for choice, freedom, and liberty around the world, in addition to, of course, hosting the Consumer Choice Radio Program right here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, your host, you'll hear him tomorrow beginning at 10 o'clock here on the Big Talker. Yael, it's always a pleasure. Great conversation this morning. Thank you, Joe. Happy Friday and Freedom Friday to all. It is a Freedom Friday, and we will be free of our three-hour barrier after the top of the hour news break. One quick timeout, and we'll be back for about 60, 90 seconds when we return here on the Big Talker FM.